Welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. I'm your host, Chelsea, and I'll be joined by my occasional co-star, my sweet grandmother, Mimi. We've spent many of our days tending to our plants and animals on East Meadow Farm, but now we are embarking on a new project, the Chelsea in the Meadow podcast. We started this podcast to help guide you through the process of maintaining your own home garden. On our show, we truly believe that everyone can grow, and we want to help you, the listeners, be successful by sharing what we've learned from our experiences as longtime horticulturalists. Join us each week for tips on how to attain the garden of your dreams. On today's episode, Mimi and I kick off with a summary of East Meadow Farm activities from the past week. We then run through some considerations for beginning your garden at home. We explain how the first steps would include deciding the style of garden you would like to have, picking a location with optimal sunlight and enough space for everything you would like to grow, forming a garden bed with enough depth that your plants will be happy, and not forgetting to add predator protection so that your plants won't be damaged from unwanted pests. Listen on to find out more for beginning your first home garden. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. Today, we're going to start off with a five-minute meadow update to explain some of what we've been doing here at East Meadow on the farm, with the fall beginning and the cold weather starting. Uh, For my clients, I've been working on adding compost from their giant compost pile that I discovered that has been sitting there with long clippings and leaves for so long, um, five plus years old, this compost has been sitting there um, degrading and the worms have been working through it. So it's so soft, so rich with nutrients. So I am taking it and putting it on all of the beds that I've been working on for this summer. So that way they can amend themselves during the winter, add those worms to our beds so they can start working in the soil. So that way in the spring, they'll be ready for me to start working on and adding our new plants in during the springtime. And Meme can give you a little bit of an update of what we've done here at East Meadow. Great. Yes, I'm happy to. One of the things we're working on right now is growing our first crop of beets, which we always grow in the cool weather. And we're growing our second round of carrots. Um, We're thinning beets and thinning carrots for the final time this week. And then they'll grow on probably until about the middle of October when we harvest them all. The other thing we're doing is harvesting any winter squash, Uh, whether they're big enough or not at this point. Home they come and that way the vines can be pulled and put in the compost pile and that part of the garden is cleaned. Uh, We're also cutting back to the ground. Any plants that are finished, um, tomatoes, annual flowers, perennials, anything that the foliage has gone. Uh, We do cut them off at the ground. We leave the root ball because if we pull the root ball out, it brings first off too much of our beautiful soil with it. But secondly, the soil, the microbial life that's in the, the microbial life that's in the soil feeds on all of that during the winter, which makes it only a better and 
and healthier soil. Um, and also, this is also a time if you take any cuttings. We take cuttings for a few perennials that we root over the winter and pot up and sell in the spring. So um, that's what we're doing out there. The other only last thing we're doing is spraying. We still have caterpillars on all our cabbages. This is a second round of cabbages. Um, they love the cool weather and they hold well over the winter. So um, we spray them with a little bit of Bt, which is Bacillus thuringiensis, and it just affects caterpillars. And we have this little white moth that flies around and lays eggs and those worms, caterpillars just fill the whole thing with holes. So today's another spray. We try to do it about once a week during the growing season. So, and that's what's going on in the garden. So, and it's looking more beautiful every day. Every time we pull something out, we scatter a buckwheat seed over the top. It's going to grow about 12 inches or so, and then we'll knock it down and it will dry out and it will become a cover crop for the winter, protecting the soil and adding nutrients back in. So there's always something to do out there. It doesn't have to be done on a totally strict schedule, but within a safe time frame. So, and that's what's happening in the actual gardens this week. Yeah, it's funny because during the springtime, you're so excited to get started. The garden has looked so bare all winter long, but now, you know, fall time, you, you're looking forward to it being bare again. <laughs> You've worked so hard this summer. It takes so much work to run it, keep it maintained, keep the weeds out of it. So it's nice when, you know, the tomato stalks that were looking so tired finally do get to come down. <laughs> It does. It does. And the garden's just as beautiful when it's put to bed as it is when it starts in the spring. So, and it gives you a chance to appreciate the amount of physical effort you've put in and time that you've put in. And our freezers are full, our refrigerators are full. So we feel pretty satisfied at this point. So yes, lots of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So today, our big topic, we're going to be covering beginning your first garden, kind of the small little tutorial-ish, our little tips about how to do it at your own homes, just starting out your very first garden. And I think our first question really to begin the project of gardening is what do you want to grow in it? What kind of garden are you looking for? Do you want it to be productive? Do you want it to be um, beautiful, like aesthetic? I know all gardens are beautiful, whether they're producing something for you or not. But, um, but kind of, is it going around your house? Are you doing it just, you know, to help um, the face of your house? Or is it something that you're looking to, you know, get tomatoes out of it, get cukes out of it? Or is it a little bit of both? Do you want um, to put perennial herbs in with your um, Japanese maples? So we also want to mention um, the conditions for where you're putting it for sun versus shade because that also really determines what you're putting into it go ahead meme <laughs> this the setup we have which is about a 40 by 60 garden that is fenced and our garden feeds six adults in two homes of 
for the whole entire year. I mean, we don't buy vegetables at the store. Everything we grow is organic. So when we go shopping, we like to tease. We buy like potato chips and snack food, you know. Um, but our setup is made up of um, a fence around the outside, which Chelsea and I think is important to talk about because everybody has... Uh, Predators. Predators. Thank you, Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has predators. So the job is to figure out what predators do you have. And I'll let Chelsea talk about that because we know who our predators are. Yep. It's the deer. <laughs> we, we are surrounded by lots of woods, which are home to lots of different predators uh, for our gardens. Um, we do get rabbits as well, but we have two dogs, so our dogs kind of keep them at bay, but it's hard to discourage deer from wanting to chomp on things. So we've got, um, six foot high fences to keep them out, which keeps them from being able to jump over them. And, um, we used a type of wire fence that we put in ourselves with, um, 10 foot wood posts and then we stapled our fence onto that our wire fence onto that um our fence doesn't go into the ground but if you have woodchucks that is something that you would need to consider so different predators need different styles of fencing to um keep them from stealing all your food <laughs> we always like to say that everybody gets caught because every video you watch every person who talks to you about gardening will tell you fence first fence first and you all, people always think including us I don't know. Do we really need to do that? And yes, you do. One of the first gardens I had for a business had they the woodchucks ate 100 heads of lettuce overnight. And that was the end of that garden. So my fencing beliefs became a little bit stronger at that point. So when we moved here, we actually even we even designed our garden to protect it from the deer. Um, what we read said the deer are nervous about their footing. So if they're jumping over your fence, that's one thing. But with us, we placed our raised beds all around the perimeter at two feet high. So they would hit that first, but they would be a little gun shy about where's my second foot going to go. So they haven't never, knock on wood, attempted to come over our fence so because our raised beds are on the entire perimeter and then the center of it is is regular in the ground rows. Right, right. So that really works to keep them out of our vegetable garden, yet we still do struggle with our family orchard and our big commercial orchard. They do sometimes get in there and nibble and do some natural pruning, as we like to say, on our sweet trees. <laughs> it's tricky on young trees, and we think they bring the little ones in in the spring. That's when most of the damage was caused this year was the little ones got in and they will eat anything. So they trimmed all the new leaves off of all the brand new trees that were planted this year, which is a setback, but it's not the end of the world. Everybody's leafing out at this point. So, Yeah. And last year we worked on putting up that fence around our commercial orchard and um, we have, you know, a hundred and 
50 odd trees now in the commercial orchard that we need to protect. So last year we made that investment of putting up the fence and it really only took like a weekend uh, of hard work uh, of working out there for most of the day. But, you know, two days to protect an area that size, it is doable to put in a fence yourself and it probably wouldn't take you that much time to do so. And lots of people use electric fence. We didn't go that route, but um, it's certainly a consideration. Some people do wire for their deer with a row of electric fence along the top part of the post. So there are lots of choices in it probably depends on how determined your critters are at getting into your garden. So, yeah. So let's jump back to vegetable gardens and starting your own. I think um, we had mentioned earlier uh, sun versus shade where you're putting your garden. Our uh, 60 by 40 garden is in a very sunny spot. I think that's... um, you know, was designed for that because a lot of vegetables need that full sunlight to grow and be as prolific as we want them to be. So for your vegetable garden, I think we would recommend finding a as sunny of a spot as you can with as much sun available to you. I know that's hard to say with people living in highly wooded areas or if you were living in a city, but Try your best to find a sunny spot for your vegetables. Um, Full sun's considered six hours, which I think is a little bit shy. I'd really rather see it have, you know, morning to late afternoon, although in the heat of the summer, they don't mind a little break. But for the most part, I think you're looking at anywhere from six to eight hours of sunshine in your spot. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then I think the next thing to consider is, again, um, the size of your garden. So ours is 40 by 60, feeds all of us here. Um, you might not want something that big. That is okay. It's okay to have something as small as a 4 by 8. It depends, I suppose, on how many people you're trying to feed, if you're planning on putting up anything. I mean, we freeze a lot of vegetables. We make a zillion jars of pickles and salsa and tomato sauce. And it's a big month for cooking around here when sort of starts around the middle of August and it's just finishing now that our kitchens aren't very, very busy. So, but if you're trying to grow Say you want three tomatoes and a row of lettuce, then you're talking you need about three feet of space for each tomato. So there's nine and a little space on the side. You're probably talking 10-foot row. And then you could fill the front row of it with lettuces or basil or something like that that you would like. So you could have just a fresh salad garden if that's what you're after. But you still do need a little bit of space in order for these plants to grow to their full potential. Potential. Most people in the beginning kind of crowd things in a bit, and that really doesn't help you. It's better to have two tomatoes with lots of space than it is to have four tomatoes with not enough space. You'll actually get more fruit off of the two than you will off of the four. So spacing is important, and those are things you can learn. You know, we'll go over more and more of this as the time of planting comes. 
Absolutely. And I think when you're starting your garden, um, adding plants in in the spring, they will say on tags and things when you're buying, hopefully, your organic seedlings, they will tell you how far to space them, how far to put them into the ground, where they should meet the soil. So, yeah, I think it's important to consider the spacing. Absolutely. And I think um, we want to go into a little bit of the soil, too. We'll do a whole episode, I think, on soil and because it's just so important in gardening um, what your soil looks like, what's in your soil. But it is important to mention it here for beginning your first garden because here in New England, the soil is super rocky, making it really hard to plant straight into the ground. So ideally you want um, a soil depth of 8 to 12 inches, which isn't really doable if you're planting it straight into the ground. So we recommend raised beds. Now that doesn't necessarily mean a wood frame all the way around. We do a combination of that and then also just piling the soil right on top of the ground of what's already there. Just like we did our potato bed. Yeah, just like we did our potato bed. That's exactly how we did it. So we dig a walking path row, go down about, you know, maybe six inches for the walking path. And then we flop the soil right onto where we're going to want to plant. And then we'll add compost to it and, you know, add our fertilizers that we want to add to it. And it takes time. Um, all the soils that you're building yourself are going to be the best soils that you can get, but you have to be patient. The first year on our potatoes was a really grand success, <laughs> and this year they were wonderful. So I think um, even true in your raised beds, the first year that you're putting it together and you're using, you know, flopped over grass at the bottom. You may throw some um, leaves in there. You're trying to stretch it. Um, you don't want to go and spend a fortune. So I think the best thing to do is you start with what you have. I said to Chelsea earlier, you could build a bed that was like four by 12 feet long Take a piece of cardboard, divide it in half down the middle, use half of it as your compost pile this year, and then take whatever soil you can find or grass upside down and all the things you would add, um, some compost, whatever. You may have to buy a few bags, but just don't you know, let that be the only thing you're putting in your bed. And then the following year, the composted side would be ready for you to use and you can buff up the first side with some of that compost. So I don't think that you will think that the very first year is going to be your best year. I think it takes about three years to grow a really good soil because that's what you're doing. You're growing it, you're enticing it to have all kinds of earthworms and other earth micro organisms in there that are going to make that soil um, um, available, all the nutrients available to what you're planting. So um, it's a little bit of time and patience that are involved, but we just don't want you to go and spend a fortune on bags of soil to fill massive amounts of space. So anyway, we'll work more on that and how to get you started even this fall. Absolutely. I think the 
the quickest thing, the easiest thing that you can start doing is deciding a spot for a compost pile and then just start dumping because the sooner that you get started, the sooner the compost will be ready. And that is something that you'll always need to put onto your beds every year. And it takes time again to age. You need again, this, the microbes, the worms to work through it for the nutrients to get out of it so the plants can use it. So start, just start taking any of your food scraps. Um, You could put proteins into it, but it also depends on your area. Maybe you don't want raccoons or rats. So you might kind of steer away from putting meats and things in there, but we put eggshells, we put our coffee grounds, we put any um, tops of vegetables, anything that we don't give to our chickens that they can't eat, we'll put into our compost pile. And then we're also putting leftover shavings from our animals into there. So any of their um, just like shaving beds from inside their coop and then also um our duck hay, right? <laughs> Into we it. do, we do, and and uh, so the most, almost all the shave. I mean, I'm we're assuming all the shavings that you get are organic. They come from way up in Maine, the ones we buy, and then we put it in as bedding in both of our coops, the chicken and the ducks. And so when that comes out, it's all fertilized and a layer. And it's best to layer it. So if you're fortunate enough, so you might have a layer of all your tomato stems, and then you might throw some of your kitchen scraps, and then you might put a few shavings. And then you might top it with a scoop of compost that you already have that you're working with. And then you just keep layering it up and layering it up. And, you know, if you're really ambitious about your compost pile, you turn it once in a while, which (laughs) never happens as often as it should. But you should try to turn it probably, well, a big compost pile will actually heat up. And so they have numbers on when you should turn it, like it reaches a hundred and some odd degrees, then it should be turned. But we just turn ours several times during the season. And every year we end up with two huge bins of compost that all goes on the garden in the spring. So, um, and anything you can do like that, it's your own material and it gets healthier and better, like we said, every single year that you do it. Yeah. And we're always going to encourage you to use organic methods and to seek out organic suppliers and organic nurseries from the beginning, because if it doesn't start out organic, it's probably going to fail because you're probably going to use organic methods and they're going to be accustomed to non-organic methods and those plants are going to need those wicked high uh, fertil- fertilizer amounts and things that you're not going to put in because truly they don't need that to be happy and healthy. And it's a waste to spend that kind of money. But then they also, the plants are going to be used to, you don't know what kind of chemicals they were putting on those plants in the beginning, what those greenhouse systems were like to keep them 
um, happy when you're buying them. And often when you buy them from somewhere, they don't take. They're just going to die the second that you put them into your bed and you're going to feel so disappointed. And it's not your fault. It's because these plants were doomed from the start. So try your best to find any local grower or um, or organic grower that you can um, and make sure that you're talking to the people that grow them. Find out their methods. Find out their process of growing it for you because it's important to be open about that. And you deserve to know you're buying the product. You should know the process of it being grown. And the whole process, the whole um, purpose of growing an organic garden is the health of you and your family. Um so many families would come to us when we had our business and have little ones with them. And they were very busily making that change over to everything being organic. And it was lots of discussions about where they would get soil. Would they? And I knew contractors who, some of the garden folk who would have soil delivered and have it tested before they put it on the people's beds. Because when you get soil delivered, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know what's in it. You don't know if it came from an, the side of a house they tore down that had lead paint all those years and you've got lead in your soil, which is an absolute no-no. So the more you work with what you know, the safer your beds are going to be and the safer the food that comes out of them is going to be for you and your family, which is really the whole goal here. Um, you can buy organic food at the market, and but it's, it's expensive. Right now, we're picking peppers, red peppers, green peppers, hot peppers, yellow peppers, every color in the rainbow out there. And we're picking tons of them. And then what we do when we bring them in is we cut them up and we put them in a jar. We don't pickle them. We just use vinegar and water and uh, we save them over the winter in the fridge and haul them out. But it's better than paying $3.99 for one red pepper. <laughs> so, um, But the whole purpose is to keep you and your family safe, especially when you have little ones. Yeah. And I think for older adults as well. So many <laughs> of the clients that I've been working for have had cancers that are directly linked with pesticides that were sprayed on the farms that they grew up next to. And so now they are going the organic route so that way they can be as healthy as they can be for the rest of their lives. So it it is out there. You have to look for organics and it is expensive at the stores. That's why we are encouraging you to grow your own garden because it is so much cheaper to do that. And the food tastes so much better when you're growing it yourself. I don't know if it's because it actually does, or it's just the satisfaction of knowing that you did that, but maybe a little bit of, a little bit of both. <laughs> but keeping it really safe, especially if you have little ones. I mean, if you're in the garden and they pick a green bean and want to eat it raw, you don't have to worry that it's not washed, that it's not this, that it's not that. Strawberries are one of the most pesticided fruits out there. They're on that top 10 list. But if you have a little strawberry patch at your house, they can pick the berries on their own as they wander by. So this is how it all started for us. And this is the direction that we've gone. And the more that we 
we've gotten into it and the more we've researched it and the more we've enjoyed it, the more sure we are that it's the right thing for you. Absolutely. Ah, So we're getting towards the end of our episode today. Um, I think we're, you know, hopefully we started you off a little bit, have a little bit of a better idea of how to start your own garden. You know, um, key takeaways of making sure you're using some compost into your soil, deciding what you want to grow in it so that way you can know the sizing of your bed, thinking about sunlight and thinking about um, also a little bit of just location of your garden with uh, how close to your house you want it to be. And yeah, anything else you want to add me? No, I think it's good. It's good. Awesome. Alrighty then. We will see you next week, hopefully, for another great episode of Chelsea in the Meadow. Hope you all have a really great day. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button and the little bell so that you are the first to know when we've released a new episode. Feel free to tell your friends or anyone that might like to listen. Another great way to support us is by rating us on the Apple Podcast app. This allows other listeners to find us more easily so they can check us out for themselves. Lastly, we want to thank those of you that have decided to donate to the podcast. It allows for us to pay for our equipment and software so that way we can continue to make the content that you all love. If you can and would like to support us in that way, there are links on our website, eastmeadoworchard.com, and also in the bio of our Instagram page, at Chelsea in the Meadow. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. This show was brought to you by Red Circle. It was edited by Chelsea Braz. Our master engineer was Ben Braz. And a special thanks to Barbara Dombrowski, Kristen Braz, and East Meadow Farm and Orchard for helping us make this possible.